Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining us always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, Darren. How are you? I'm great. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying just... to match your energy. <laughs> my um, um, no, I, I've I just finished work, but I, but I, I, I have a gin and tonic, um, and I'm ready, ready, ready to to to, to clock in. Perfect for, for the, the second job. Yeah, podcast. This, this, thank you for the second job. I am very. I don't tired. think I can do what you do, Darren. <laughs> It's, it's all the cocaine. Uh, that's all yeah, it is. I think so. Um, cocaine think and so, sugar, yeah. pretty much. It's um, little known, but like you, you kind of get to know Darren a little bit, and you think you, you have him sort of figured out. But then you realize, like, the, your extensive cocaine use. And when I say extensive, it's not just the amount of it; it's the different kinds of it too. Um, you like most people, they they kind of get to a, a kind of cocaine that they that they, that they care for, and they say this stuff. That's what I want. But, I um, myself a cocaine connoisseur, apparently, uh, based on what we're doing here. But yes, that's okay. Um, I make a lot. Based on what we're doing here, yeah. <laughs> Darren, it was yourself. <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> But yes, so uh, we are discussing a hot new entry on the 250, a new arrival on the list. Now, listeners might wonder how it is possible for a new movie to have made the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, given that it has been perhaps a rather uh, barren period in terms of major new releases. And the reason for that is... Backlist. <laughs> that's it, backlist, ladies and gentlemen. It's the same with books, actually, in 2020. Um, the 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 backlist has done much better um, than the front list, comparatively speaking, to 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 other years. Because people were expecting nobody's going to read books in twenty twenty because they're all at home, <laughs> um, like connected to um, devices and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I guess it's the is it the same with movies, Darren? I suspect it might be because the most of the new entries that we've seen come in have actually been archival titles. And this one in particular, which is Time of the Gypsies, a 1988 or 1990 movie, depending on how you classify it. Um, it is Amir, and I want to get this right because I did actually check the pronunciation, Amir Kustoretza, um 1988, his third film, Time of the Gypsies. And joining us for this discussion, we have two fantastic guests. We've managed to reassemble our panel of experts on both world cinema and the new good boy canon, we have the fantastic <laughs> Ronan Doyle. How are you, Ronan? I'm very good. I haven't got cocaine, but I've got wine. <laughs> and, gin, and gin and tonic. Um, and we also managed to bring back Jason Coyle. How are things? Great. I'm back from the sanatorium after the Scorsese season. Uh, well rested. Well Perfect. rested. Darren, did you, say, did you say Ronan has gin and tonic and wine? No, oh, no, God, I was saying no. to match your gin and tonic. You never mix you never your drinks, oh, Andrew. Oh, yeah. okay. I have neither gin and tonic nor wine. It's quite disgusting, actually, the whole lot of it. Like a G and T and W. Would, would, <laughs> um, would you like to get a gin and tonic or a no, wine, No, I'm Jay? okay. I'm, uh, I, can, I can This hold is just part of the sanatorium post-Corsese process. <laughs> to let my buddy, we, uh, we can do that thing like they try to do for um, work drinks. Where they send like a voucher so that you can get wine. Yeah, which is that'd be great. Uh, send, send me one of those. I'll take one of those from your I'll own kitchen. Really? From anyone, literally. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. If I any just, listeners want to send me a voucher, they can. Uh, Darren will give you out to the address. 
it, it's a good time for me to to be asking me that sort of thing. Um, I, I I recently sent a cousin a a a, a full Irish breakfast, but he's in San Francisco, so like the, the full Irish breakfast. I hope he's in the house when it arrives because um, it's going to it's definitely going to be like bad news for perishables in the hot uh, California sun. Um, and also the shipping was a lot more than the breakfast. <laughs> yeah. This is always the way. Um, yeah. So, so you can look forward to drinks. No, we're not going to talk about the movie, Darren. We're just going to talk about <laughs> The Belier's Breakfast. Yes. So basically, when Time of the Gypsies came into the list, I kind of reached out to Rowan and I reached out to Jay because they are two experts in terms of world cinema. They've talked to us before about uh, Tangerines, which is another Eastern European movie that came into the list. And they obviously talked to us about Capernaum um, the year before last as well. So we're thrilled to have them back here for this. And actually, when I reached out to them, I remember talking to Ronan in particular because the director, Amir Kusturetza, um, is basically regarded as one of the giants of Eastern European cinema. In fact, he's actually had a number of films on the list over the years, uh, including Underground, uh, which is one of his most controversial films, and Black Cat, White Cat as well from 1998, which is seen as something of a spiritual companion to this film. So when I mentioned this to Ron, I actually was curious, have you seen, how familiar are you with the work of Amir uh, Kucharetsa? Uh, no, I hadn't seen anything. This was the first I'd watched. Um, it's kind of been floating around the peripheries of a a big broad general list of people I should get to at some point. He's he's one of the few directors to have won two Palme d'Ors at the Cannes Film Festival over the years. Um, so glad of the opportunity to get that off the list. Yeah. And he won Best Director for this without winning Best Picture, which is mm -hmm. remarkable as well. So he's very, very much uh, loved. And obviously he was the chairman of the jury, I think, in 2005 as well. So very much an institution in terms of European uh, filmmaking. But Jay, what about yourself? Is that the other year he won? <laughs> what is the odds? Not, nothing to see here <laughs> just excuse me while i go backstage and loop around from the other side to pick up the award ladies and gentlemen um but jay what about yourself um had you seen any of his films before? Uh, i had not um similar to ronan um i missed out I, I think access sometimes is a little trickier for some of the filmmakers particularly their earlier work i suppose not kind of for you jay Yes, it is. <laughs> what are you implying, Andrew? Even even uh, even, even with what Andrew's implying, uh, it's going to be tricky. Um, a little bit woo, a little bit woo. Uh, I got a got a newbie at the back of a truck. Um, but it can be access can be tricky, even for Pandora winners. Um, they don't turn up that often on streaming services either. Like even the art house ones. Yeah, uh, they're not. That wouldn't be as familiar as a Michael Haneke or whatever those kind of filmmakers that tend to. You get their all their films kind of handy enough, so not not many. I just haven't got around to them, to be honest. There's you know all the films still to watch. Yeah, and it is worth singling out like why Time of the Gypsies um, is more accessible because if you're in America, um, it's available on movies uh, on movies anywhere, which is the Disney streaming service, but also on Vudu, on Google Play, on iTunes, wherever. If you're here in Ireland, it's readily available on Google Play as well. And the reason for that is because it was actually produced by Columbia Pictures, an American ah. company. Um, I guess it was during the reign of David Putnam, the short and ter terrible reign of David Putnam, if you were a Columbia Pictures shareholder, but a very... Or if you're a, if you're a lame May. <laughs> but, yeah, I suppose that's, that's probably fair as well, to, to be fair. For Ishtar. Um, but what I mean, to be fair, he gave her the money for Ishtar. It's more that like what happened he at the other it was end. Given, it was given to ah, her before okay. he took over and ah. he had a few to Rarabiti and that, uh, that basically coy that film. 
All right. Um, but yes, so Putnam basically had invested in a large number. He's very fond of foreign films. <laughs> War of the Buttons um, is another one of his pet projects. I want projects. to know more about Ishtar and Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> Putnam. Uh, it's like, are we going to are we, we going to like stop for a moment to defame some people? <laughs> you know, I love to defame people like, you know, me. <laughs> I have a long and proud history of it. <laughs> my my favorite story about the production of Ishtar is the moment where like Dustin Hoffman apparently took Warren Beatty aside and was very concerned about the direction of the movie as it was unfolding and Warren Beatty just kind of zoned out as a production assistant walked by his head kind of turning to a follower and Dustin Hoffman kind of noticed this and he's like is there any woman that you wouldn't sleep with and Beatty apparently actually paused considered it ran through the an index in the back of his head and said no and that was apparently the kind of the the sum total of uh, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty's professional relationship working on that particular movie. Um, but yeah, no. So basically, uh, Time of the Gypsies was a production from Columbia Pictures. Um, it was basically produced uh, under that reign that also included uh, curiosities like Ed Harris starring as a Polish secret police agent in To Kill a Priest. And Griffiths Dunn as a man with a talking penis in German filmmaker Doris Dory's Me and Him. Um, so a very interesting time in terms of production as well. How did he not last a decade or more at that studio? How is that possible? And people complained about like, you know, studios playing it safe is the problem. I know, right? Yeah. Um, but obviously this did very, very this well. Did, like um, uh, Dar- Dar- Darren's uh, second favorite Columbia export. Uh. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. Um, but yeah, so basically, this is kind of why Time of the Gypsies managed to break out in the way that it did. It obviously went to Cannes as well. It was a short. It was shortlisted for the Palme d'Or. One Best Director uh, was one of the entries for the Academy Awards for Foreign Film. It didn't make the shortlist in the end, but it garnered a great deal of attention, a great deal of praise. Um, Jean-Paul Gaultier um, is a huge fan of the film, listing it as one of his key influences. The Los. Sorry, yeah, it is a bit of a tangent, a bit of a that's, that's, uh, yeah. Did Hugo Boss weigh in? (laughs) Yeah, he's a man with the 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 sailor on the bottle, isn't he? Um, And and the um, our 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 we'll 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 have a we'll have a very specific like perfume. Oh yes, Euro trash. Um, we'll have a perfume section in our show notes. We will indeed. Um, you, you can smell it all the way from here. Um, and obviously the Los Angeles Times named it as the ninth best movie of 1999, just behind Godfather Part 3. Yes. Competitive year. Just, be, just behind Godfather Part 3. Yeah, you heard me right. Um, okay. Are they sure? <laughs> Go on. Uh, listeners can't see Ronan's reaction to it. Um, but yes, so I'm assuming obviously none of us had seen Time of the Gypsies before. And again, another interesting thing when I mentioned... You didn't ask me, Darren. Oh, Andrew, what is your familiarity with uh, director um, Amir Kuturetsa? You better have a good answer for this. (laughs) Well, Darren, he's kind of one of the list of um, former Yugoslav directors that I was looking to kind of get to. Just hadn't hit him him yet. See, I was going by, by alphabetical order. And his name, of course, being um, what it is. Um, I, 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 I what is his name, Andrew? Yeah, what is his name? Uh, <laughs> I know his name. I know his Me name. Um, yeah, of course. Of, of course names. I know his name. One of the great Yugoslav names. Um, yeah, yeah. But yes, so when I mentioned the film to uh, Ronan and to Jay separately, I also got the exact same response, which was, you mean the four and a half hour version, right? 
Um, because apparently... Well, just... And we hung up. <laughs> yes. That, that, was, that was the point at which it was just dead air either end. Yes, so just in case listeners are curious, there is a the two-hour, 20-minute theatrical cut of the movie, but he also recut it for, um, I think, local Yugoslavian television, but also for Russian television uh, with a five-hour-long miniseries, basically. <laughs> the, um, the miniseries will continue until morale improves. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's... Do we? Sorry, I don't know if this if this is a bit premature, but do it. It felt like like when I heard that and then saw the movie, I wasn't surprised that it was a a miniseries. Did did anyone feel like it had that sort of sense of um, a miniseries where there's kind of edit points almost where you feel like like oh this is a big this, this is, is where the, the credits will appear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, where? Um, it's not. It wasn't. A, it wasn't seasons or something, isn't it? It's punctuated by kind of sections. Yeah, like it wasn't as clear as uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. And in case listeners, like, just I'm the only. I assume I'm the only person here who watched the five-hour miniseries cut. You can you can uh, assume away. I can assume away. <laughs> but, but just just to give a proper sense of context for this, um, when you reach the end of an episode, there's a freeze frame. And then in like pure 1990, like, you know, video VFX style, like a big yellow writing zooms down in front saying time of the gypsies, part one, end. And then there's like a two minute next time trailer. It's quite you, something to behold. It's difficult to watch, though. You need you need a Russian passport, don't you? <laughs> In order to see it. Yeah, <laughs> you're, only, you're, you're able to secure one of those. The only DVD I could find was a Russian copy, actually, yes, um, which was interesting as well of itself. So, yes, but we all watched the two-hour, 20-minute version. Um, so before we jump in, before we ask any questions, just initial impressions. So um, without any spoilers, without any takeaways, Ronan, Jay, was this worth the wait? Was this worth seeking out? Um, was this a film that you're glad you've seen? You know, that sort of stuff. What was your first impression of it, just broadly? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I think um, Andrew made a good point there about being able to clearly see where you might have had cuts for a miniseries. I think that's, for me, I got a similar impression, not necessarily around it maybe, um, you know, being capable of being expanded to a miniseries. My first impression was just that, God, there's a lot of story here, isn't there? A lot of characters are in the peripheries, loads of different things happening, not all of which I could always keep up with. Um, it's really quite a frantic, frenetic world that it um, all takes place within. And I did enjoy getting a little bit lost in it and literally lost at times. You know, I couldn't entirely um, keep pace with everything, which is, for me, part of the charm. Um, it was also frustrating at times, and I'm not sure I would have liked to see quite as much as you did, Darren. The, the two hours 20 was enough for me. Um, but I, I did like this world. Ah, cool. And, and Jay, what about yourself? What were your kind of initial impressions? Um, I, I obviously, the first 10 minutes, I think I kind of sunk into the sofa going, oh crap, I've two hours and 10 minutes of this. And then it kind of clicked with me pretty quickly after that. And I found it kind of, in a weird way, sort of drifting by me at points and also kind of really commanded my attention at points. And simply thrown out, like, it's a place that I, if if you're familiar with certain other European filmmakers, you'll be at home here. I mean, we'll get into that probably a little more when we talk about it in more depth. But there's there's stuff here that I've seen variations of in different films that I've liked, and there's and there and how it's put together in that way, and how it's shot, and how it's staged, and all the rest of it that really really impressed me, and it and kind of made up for certain shortcomings and issues that I had with it. 
And yes, overall, I think I liked it. When you say uh, like the, the elements that you've seen elsewhere, are we talking about films like that perhaps afterwards are taking cues from it, or is it just like a general, that European style um, of filmmaking? Yeah, I think there's, there's elements of Bellatar here. I think there's elements of Roy Anderson here, uh, specifically, in this kind of almost theatrical staging of particular sequences. Now, if you told me a section of this was a Roy Anderson film, like all seven minutes scene, I'd probably believe you to a certain degree if you just took it out of context and language and all the rest of it. Like, but yeah. the, 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 the visuals on screen, the yeah. palette, the, the the kind of the daftness going up against proper melodrama, things like that, that work quite well. And I, I, I like that kind of thing, generally. So that, that kind of worked for me. All right, cool. And Andrew, what about yourself? What are your kind of initial impressions, initial reactions to Time of the Gypsies? Um, I got a bit, kind of to 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 what Jay was saying about kind of like what did this remind me of? It, it was it it felt more sort of um kind of South Central America um sort of magical realism um felt um ideas within it in term and and it's interesting actually. The beginning of the movie, I felt like, oh, I can see why this is one of the top 250 movies um, of all time. It was, and I, I was thinking, like, I was very charmed by the, the, the kind of maybe first um, um, third of it. And then I, I felt that the movie kind of um, got away from that in a, in a, I suppose because of the amount of elements that are introduced, you kind of feel like, um, and I don't, I, um, I know someone who has seen the Russian miniseries, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it ties up all of the kind of um, ends that are loosened no. in, in, in the, in the, in the, in the first third, um, because we leave that, that sort of setting. Um, and those characters and, and they're kind of like yeah and and I don't know I don't know how I felt about the um, about the rest of the movie um, I mean I've only seen it once but um, yeah it, it 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 reminded me I I, I guess of um, I think when we were talking about Dune I spoke about how much I disliked um, El Topo and while this was a much more coherent <laughs> Um, film it felt far less sort of um, random, and of course it is less random. Um, it 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 definitely it definitely went in 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 kind of directions that I wasn't expecting it to go. Maybe wordy directions, but I I was kind of looking forward to to a a a, a movie that was set up in the first third that didn't really transpire. Two, two quick things on that actually because you did it's strange that you like single out central and south american influences there because uh Kusaritza specifically singled those out he said that he, that's what he was inspired by when he was talking to uh the romani well, people it's like borgias isn't it isn't, yeah. isn't that the, the 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 kind of um you 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 um columbia again <laughs> <laughs> um, the, my third favorite colombian export apparently yeah um, yeah magical realism anyone who's seen um narcos knows that magical <laughs> realism uh, was invented in colombia uh, um 
but also it was inspired by he singles out uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez as well as an influence. On That's it. who I was thinking of. Not no, yeah, uh, Marquez. I beg your pardon. Yeah, and kind of said that when he talked to Romani's, it was that idea of kind of moving between reality and illusion that he associated with that, and that's why he kind of incorporated uh, that style. And interesting enough, I would kind of we'll probably talk about the spoiler zone. I would kind of agree with you there in terms of the transition between the first and second thirds. Um, and I feel like I perhaps spoiled the experience for myself by watching the miniseries uh, first, where the first third of the movie is basically the first two fifths of the miniseries. So you spend two whole hour long episodes in that first third and then it takes a pivot and it moves in the direction that it does. And it feels like a much stranger, suddener shift when you move away. And I think, to be honest, that's probably because um, and, and when um, Kutsuritsa talked about this, he said like one of the things about filming it was he actually used Romani performers um, outside of the actual title character. Most of the Romani characters um, in the movie are actually played by Romani actors. And they would actually do, um, they'd actually like do improvisation. He'd say that he'd ask them to do a scene one way and they'd end up doing it five or six different ways. And he'd ask them to do one line and they end up with a hundred. And apparently as he was editing, he basically said, okay, I'm going to leave this stuff in, which is why that stuff became so much bigger in the edit. Um, but yeah, no, I kind of, I would agree with Andrew uh, in terms of that, that kind of assessment of it as well. All right then. So before we jump into the sports zone, three questions to get us started. So Ronan, do you think that Time of the Gypsies is one of the 250 greatest films ever made. Greatest, no, probably not from my perspective, but if you want to get a broadly representative kind of pluralist list of a lot of different filmmaking modes, it's a really interesting one to have in there. I can't say there's a lot of other things that I've seen like it. You know, you've all pointed out some other um, touch points from uh, world cinema at the time, and there's there's another one I want to add is... Um, Landscape in the Mist, the Theo Angelopoulos film from the same, um, the same year, same 1990, year. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it's uh, that one's a Greek film, but it's similarly it's about um, children traveling to different parts of Europe to look into a father that they don't really know, as well as many other things. Um, that that was the only real touch point that I identified. Although I have to say, I, I agree with you around El Topo Andrew, um, Andrew El Topo Andrew. Um, <laughs> um, the the Yadorovsky influence I saw a lot there, especially when you know there's there's a dwarf character that enters into it in the middle of this traveling band. It's like oh well, we're in Yadorovsky territory now, and it does it right. does flirt with that at different times. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's very unique and different. Um, I can't say I've seen a lot of films like it, so um, it adds a different perspective to the list that I don't think is otherwise there. Um, and what about yourself, Jay? Would you agree with that? Do you think it belongs less than the 250 I, greatest movies ever no, made? No, I don't. Uh, but I do. I do. I, I, I think it's certainly a, a snapshot in time and a part of film cinema probably that's perhaps underrepresented. In, in particularly in this, I guess, it obviously it does seem to be getting better. As well, hey, going Tangerine better. just came back in, ladies and gentlemen. But there you so go. Like, uh, so that's good. Like, I mean, it, I think that is important. I mean, I don't know how long it'll take to top 250 films of all time on the list to be relatively truly representative probably come what back in uh, yeah um, and you'd be still doing the podcast as a kind of Nixon <laughs> head floating in a jar in Futurama style at that stage but um, episode 4000 of the yes. 250 which is quite impressive um. yeah so I, I could see the reasoning and I could see to some degree why it's made a, a pitch for it uh, but it wouldn't be in mine or in A250 for me. Uh, and what about yourself, Andrew? Um, well, like, 
I'm kind of inclined to say yes. I'm 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 a I'm I'm a little bit on 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 the fence, but I I would probably um, perhaps be more likely to say yes to this question than the next than one. The ever so slightly <laughs> different question that's coming up next. And um, you mock those questions for being too similar, Andrew. <laughs> Now it all no, pays off. They're very distinct questions, Darren. That and have this, slightly this different deserves, answers. This to be this deserves to be on the two fifty because it's the world's two fifty. And you know what like like the the part of the movie that I didn't connect with as much is the story that um ought to be told. Um and it's great. That this movie that this movie is on the list because it's kind of shining a light, I guess, um, on that story. This that is something we'll that... probably talk about on the other side of the spoiler zone, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. My lips are sealed. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, I would, I would put it. I would agree that it ought to be on the two fifty. A250. D250? Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> uh, who are we to say? Um, and for myself. Eh, I'm. I really. I was not a huge fan of the film, and it's really odd because I feel like again watching the miniseries first kind of soured me because I hated the miniseries. Then I watched the edited film, which was shorter, and I was like, actually, this is better. This is significantly better. Um, but I'm kind of wondering if I'm tainted by that experience of watching the miniseries first. I can see Ronan and Jay's arguments, and I don't disagree. I also would repeatedly argue, yep, that the list does need to get more diverse, and that, yes, this is a film that is quite distinct from a lot of the other films on the list, and so I can see the reasons for including it. I just, it it did not connect with me. I found parts of it a little bit exploitive, a little bit cynical. Um, I found, there were parts of it that I didn't connect with, but parts of it that I felt were quite cliche in a way that I, I associate not necessarily with European films but films perhaps about social issues about marginalized communities that I think are worth unpacking but I'm not entirely sure are worth raising as you know one of the best films of all time but I suspect I'm probably in the minority on that and it'll probably be fun to get into that on the other side of the spoiler zone so second question um Ronan would it be on your own personal 250 no um I enjoyed it very much but no it doesn't it doesn't crack that kind of area Oh. And Jay, uh, yeah, same. I yeah, I I like. I think it actually it taking the miniseries out of it that you issue you had. I think it would benefit a second watch for in many ways because um, I think there is a lot in there, and I, I actually wouldn't mind seeing it in the cinema because it's very beautiful. It's at, stunning at to look point. at. It's it's, it's yeah, incredibly well so made. I think I imagine the cinematic revisit would would benefit it hugely. But at the at this point, after one watch, I'd say no, it wouldn't be on my list. And and if we are waiting for a cinematic rewatch, you probably have to wait until what 2023, 2024, right? Oh, stop! Don't let's not let's not let's not. It depends on what year this is that it goes out as well. That's oh a fair yeah, year yeah. In. Have I got the Actually, vaccine? When... Somebody tell me. What are my pitching here? When we're when we're brains and vats and have the um, SARS three vaccine, um, we're 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 going to do a rewatch of um, the Time of the Gypsies. Yeah. When we, when we complete the 215, I mean, all we have to do is just rewatch. That's all we We'll get our lab to talk to your lab. <laughs> I like it. I'm in. We'll, put, we'll move the jars closer together for the psionics. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a microphone slipped into the jar. Well, you have to clip it onto something, but it's okay. We're total professionals Yeah, because the brain, the brain has kind of just little ridges you can kind of clip on there, actually. It's quite handy. You, 
you're on mute. <laughs> Press it with your nose. Uh, but what was I say? So, um, and again, I think one of the observations somebody made on Twitter, which is that like cinema kind of 2020 revival seasons are going to be something to behold in the decades yet to come. It's like, see it. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, for the first time. Um, all right, then. And then um, what about yourself, Andrew? Would it be on your own personal 250? Absolutely not. Like, hell <laughs> no. Because, um, no, no, like, I enjoyed it and I liked it. Uh, uh, but um, there, was, there was a lot of, I felt a lot of uh, jewellery discussed. <laughs> oh, you've talked about before. You don't like tactics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I've talked about that in relation to a few movies. It doesn't come up all the time. I remember Casino I, being quite big on this, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and I think there was also, um, what was, was it Legan? Um, had, yes, had some of that yes, as had well. some chains, yeah. yes. It had some chains, like, dangling in people's faces with, like, blood on them and stuff. And it's, get the get those like it i i this is so <laughs> hyper specific Andrew. it's very very <laughs> hyper specific but it's it's like if you want it to be on my 250 and you, you can't gotta get that and, and, yeah. and listen, it's a simple agreement yeah listeners listeners don't know how close Lagan made it given that andrew's first reaction after he finished watching was let's move the table out of the way and wrestle in the sitting room after the oh, movie wait. ended no, sorry. Oh, that's Dangal. Sorry, that's Dangal. That's Dangal. That's Dangal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we didn't we, play we, cricket after Lagan. That's correct. No, no, yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, no, not, not not for me. And also because of, I guess, um, how sort of all over the place it was. It, did, it, it, it didn't feel um, as kind of um, artful in its assembly, I guess. Um, and it needs it, 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 you, you kind of want a movie to be perfect if it's going to be on your own person be on I like that list. I like Maybe that it's like on the you, regular you 250 want... it's just like that's for regular people that's for players yeah, but my list <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, baby because you aspire for there, for there to be a list of 250 perfect movies that would of course include Jaws yeah um, <laughs> with, uh, which isn't on the the, uh, the actual 250 Anyway, yeah. No, not in mine. For hyper-specific reasons. <laughs> um, and I would I would agree. I wouldn't be on my own personal 250 either. I just, the tonal stuff is too much for me. And I get that it's for other people. And I get that it's entirely a, a personal preference. And it's just not something that I respond to in films. But I found it just too all over the place in terms of what it was doing. Um, there's a, like, there's a place, yeah, anyway, there's a point at which a magical, whimsical space, uh, becomes, like, yeah, anyway, never mind, we'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a moment later on. Alright then, and final question, so if listeners have not watched this movie already, so if they haven't seen the movie or miniseries Time of the Gypsies, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and go out and watch it? And let's just put a bonus twist on there as well, are you at all curious about seeing the five-hour miniseries, Ronan? Not right now. <laughs> Um, maybe at some point in the future when it comes to a rewatch. Um, like I said, I liked it, but I found it quite intense at points. So I would I would generally put a, a lengthy enough cushion between a film like this and myself for a second viewing. Um, and especially if it's going to be a longer one. And given what you were saying about it, that you that you liked it less. Uh, as to the recommendation, I mean, in fairness, if you're you're tuning into a podcast about this film, you might as well watch it. That's fair. That is a very fair point. It does render the question kind of redundant. Um, but yes, what about yourself, Jay? I would recommend it actually. I like I, I think there's it's an experience 
And even if you don't like it, there, I think there's a lot in here worth seeing. And if you're interested in cinema and you're interested in world cinema, I think there's plenty here you'll you'll get from it, even if it doesn't quite work for you in lots of other ways. Because I, I think there's there's talent on show. As if you looked at the filmmaker and you saw you, there's something there, something very clearly there. Oh, and I think it's worth it in that regard, regardless of it. Yeah, you can see why Custeros uh, kind of Custeros is kind of seen in the way that he is. Um, as, you can see like, why he's a can favorite as well. Which yeah, there's a certain selection and cohort of filmmakers that roll around every year that get no matter what they make get thrown into the official competition. Um, if you can put dogs on the screen and it'll get in, but I, I, I'm not suggesting that's here. But I do think there are can darlings as we know every year that will be populated if they have a new film out, and he's one of them. And I'd be curious to see his other films in that regard and see if they step up. Uh, well, I mean, uh, yeah, there's just a great degree of kind of craft on display as well. Like, he's a very, there very is. good visual storyteller in terms of mechanics as well. And we'll probably talk about that when we get in the spoiler zone. And Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast, go out and watch Time of the Gypsies? And are you waiting for the five-hour Russian DVD miniseries cut? Well, I, like, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'll die before, like, the... You know, um, brain in bad stage. Dies okay. and, and uh, we have to migrate to other planets, and and some media might be lost. Um, so um, I I might I might I might miss this. I might not. Um, but like 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 I'll, I'll I'll probably like look back and think kind of like oh remember when I had a podcast. I um, listen to it again and think, oh yeah, I didn't see that Russian miniseries. <laughs> I'm also wondering about how many times we've recommended people not watch this <laughs> movie. <laughs> um, yeah. um, it's kind of like the sunk costs Balance. sort of thing. It's like, right now you, you've only listened to so much of a podcast. Yeah. Stop it now. Don't listen to the rest of it. Don't watch the movie. Yeah. Uh, we already have your listen for our metrics. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I would recommend people watch us. Um, I, as I said, I thought it was charming. I thought it was important. Um, I thought it sounded great, looked great. Um, there were some great performances, both from um, the, I, th- I, I think you said one um, uh, kind of. Davor uh, Dubovic, and apologies if I make his name. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I, I think more especially um, from, from, from the, the, the Roma um, uh, actors. The grandmother in particular, that was terrific. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I just kind of enjoyed them, and yeah, I, I like I've 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 I felt like like a lot of the like it's difficult to tell what's in problem what's not, but that 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 is um yeah it 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 and it felt kind of authentic, especially as I say in that in that first part, um yeah, so I'd recommend people watch it, check it out. See, see, yeah, because if you don't watch it, you can't listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> you can. You just, <laughs> you'd probably, probably be a little bit lost. I imagine, yeah. yes, I imagine without context, the rest of this podcast would be very, very yeah. interesting. I mean, uh, it's really, it's a really good movie, but it's not nearly as good as our podcast. Clearly. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> our podcast is, is the dessert that you're and, uh, to. And don't look uh, out for the five hour cut of this podcast as well. Like, <laughs> we're approaching. Which is coming. <laughs> It is worth actually seeing. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, we 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 did we did have an eighteen hour. Long we did podcast. have an eighteen hour. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
And Jay did help us put to take an hour. Yeah, in that 18 hours. I did help and, you to eat those cherry pies. God yeah. bless them. And the 26 hours we spent talking about Scorsese as well, actually. Yes. Eat those cherry pies. Uh, not a euphemism. Not a euphemism. No. no. Uh, all right. So um, it's also worth singling out there. You mentioned the grandmother. She's played by uh, Lubitsa Adzovic, um, who has the rare actor with the 100% IMDb 250 hit ratio in that Good both word. of both of the movies she's appeared in have been on the 250 at one point or another. She wow. also she also appeared in Black Cat, White Cat, which is obviously the director's kind of follow up to this as well. Ah, okay. Wasn't the 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 was that um, actor? Uh, I'm John blanking Zales? on his name. Yes, yeah. I was thinking like Casales or yeah. Uh, Jose Canseco or no, no, jo- no, no uh, let's go back to, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He is a tremendous. Um, kind of a hit rate because it, it was. It well, was dying like, will do that, won't it? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, he he six died films at like and the five exact best right picture time. nominees. I think it's basically. And apparently, he was he was great too. Like people, he was the nicest uh, man. Apparently, people, people loved him. Yeah. Um. Anyway, sorry for, <laughs> for being a bummer. Fun. No, we're <laughs> celebrating his life. Um. Yeah, and then for myself, uh, maybe a qualified one. I think. Yeah, you know, I mean. If you're looking to try something new, something interesting, yes. If you're interested in world cinema, yes. If you're interested in magical realism, yes. I do think that there's an intensity that maybe I certainly wasn't expecting when I sat down to watch the movie. And I wasn't expecting when I watched the first half hour of the movie in particular. So maybe be aware of that in that it just be aware. We've kind of suggested before, but it's not as light a film as it might initially appear to be. Um, I think it deals with some... in some ways, the first act does suggest the third. <laughs> That's fair. Um, <laughs> that is... But, um, but we'll, 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 we'll get to that, that in, yeah, in June. Yeah. Uh, symmetry. Chekhov, yeah. et cetera. <laughs> Chekhov's fork, um, which in a way that cannot possibly be a spoiler unless you've seen the movie, I hope. All right, then. With that in mind, then we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Jay, what is Time of the Gypsies about for you? Oh, let's don my European cinema hat. Um, <laughs> it's a nice hat. Uh, I thought it looked like a cowboy you're hat. Imagine you a darling. Yeah, sorry, one day I will be, hopefully. Um, this is a tricky one. Peddling it's not, like, te- technically, it's a, it's a coming of age film, but it's also about 700 different things, I think. Um, so it's kind of hard to pin down in that regard. It's a migration story. It's a poverty story. It's a um, it's a story about people outside the bounds of kind of law, I guess, or societal norms. And it's a story of family, like Fast and the Furious songs. Um, it's a bit of everything. Um, <laughs> but in many other ways, not like the Fast and the Furious songs. No, less um, Corona. Yeah, I feel like you yeah, should have put that pitch. Uh, that should have been your uh, pitch. All that Corona hasn't aged well. <laughs> no. But, like, ultimately, I suppose it's about kind of coming of age and figuring out that the world you thought was X is kind of Y, or the realization of that, of same. 
but with a lot, 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 lot more thrown in. Um, in terms of kind of unpacking it, actually, because this is kind of, I think Andrew alluded to it being an important film. Uh, the film was famously inspired by an article um, that uh, Kusturetsa read, basically, about uh, Yugoslav um, gypsies or Romana kind of smuggling um, children across the borders into Italy to beg. And basically there was an arrest and his argument, he read that article and he was like, actually, I could make a movie out of this. So it is kind of, it's very much inspired by. Um, the dollar that. signs. Yeah. <laughs> Get that 500 million at the box office. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear Colombia is under new management. <laughs> <laughs> that real Putnam will put up 100 million. So nine months of filming. And a half year of editing on this, by the way. So six months of editing on I this. I would not be surprised by that. Yeah. Um, but apparently the total budget was only $1.2 million. Um, well, they went there, they went to La Ford, or I imagine, where they were filming. Uh, yeah, they're filming outside Skopje they, in Macedonia. These weren't, these weren't New York sets, like... <laughs> yeah. Um, 50,000 50, extras involved. Wow. In yeah. Do, is, is it like a thing where... Do you remember Darren when we were in school and they would have the talent show each year? We would all kind of some people like um, our 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 friend Kieran would write a would write a play and there would there would be like the uh, some people would have non speaking roles where they would just kind of so, um, to get out walk, of school work yeah in order yeah. to get out of school work. So you, like, had to, how, you had to rehearse for it. You had to put it on. You had to like do all this stuff. Exactly. How many of the extras were actually in the movie, <laughs> and, and and how <laughs> much of them were just getting paid? Like, but yeah, no, I I imagine, I don't. I, I'm actually kind of curious when you look at the 1.2 million budget and you see 50,000 extras employed. You're like, I wonder. Yes, how many of them were actually getting paid, and how many of them just happened to be in the background of the shot when he was filming stuff. But you know, no, yeah. it is. And it, Columbia was like, "Oh, fifty thousand extras, okay." Um, it's <laughs> it's been, out. <laughs> That's it. This is going to be the biggest. I look hit forward ever, to baby. that war scene. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, because the, the big showcase scene is is a dream sequence. It's the sequence that appears on the poster. It's not even something that actually happens in actuality. But I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the film, and it's something I think Jay and and Ronan both suggest, I think Andrew suggests as well with the magical realism, is the way in which it blurs the boundaries between what's real and what's not. That's kind of interesting how the movie does that with its imagery and kind of iconography, where you have characters frequently like seeing things floating outside of windows. You have like a central plot element, which we should probably talk about, which is completely insane, uh, which is the fact that uh, the main character is also a telekinetic. Yeah, it's Chekhov's telekinesis. How insane is it, though, really? Kind of, <laughs> and I think it depends on, like, I think a lot of have people. Have you been listening to those old science podcasts? A lot of people you? have these sorts of um, abilities. No, these sorts of stories where it's just like okay. I'm a physicalist. I, I I believe in science and that the kind of everything makes sense. But there was this one thing that happened one time. And I have no explanation for it. And like, I remember in school, I thought that one of um, the people that we were in school with were a vampire. And we kind of spoke about this a lot. And the, the, not like, um, uh, not like Army Hammer, but, um, 
Have you heard that Army Hammer is a vampire? He's a cannibal, isn't he? I thought he was a cannibal. Is it, he, he, I think he said, like, I'm, here, I'm a 100% a vampire. Oh, okay. Um, he did also and, say that he wanted to bite her beating heart, if I remember correctly. Or, like, hold it in his hands? Okay. Anyway, I did, when is this coming out? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Army Hammer's <laughs> lawyers are standing by. Um. He has yet to respond. Um, as of time of this recording, he hasn't yet confirmed all. Um, yeah. But yes, sorry, um, Andrew. <laughs> sorry. Um, no, but the the, the I th- I think for me anyway, that's something that kind of works about magical realism that doesn't work about for me um, with pure fantasy. You know that the the sense that there is something um, other that are worldly, but like within this world, that they're, they're, they're it's just, yeah, sorry. It's taken wholly for granted, right? Yeah. In the same way that um, it's just something that's set out at the start that this family is poor. It's also that this family is telekinetic. And yeah, fine, let's proceed in a wholly realist mode from there. This is just part of the world. Get over it. I think also, um, I think the film, magical reasons for it to do its thing, the film has to kind of set up a certain way. Like it has to feel that this is not the natural order of things as opposed to anything else. Mm-hmm. And I feel a successful version of that means that you won't bat an eyelid or whatever the thing is. And that I think that does it well here. I think it's an otherworldly experience initially anyway. But like, does anyone else feel that kind of these, these sorts of stories sort of posit not just the fiction of this but the, but 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 that this the but that this is a sort of a um an interesting reality because i, yeah, I mean, like it's, look, it's a perception of a gift as well like the idea right people we ha- who will well have passed things down for a long long time that you know uh people that go back and go back and go back and there's things and superstitions and beliefs and abilities and all that i think that's present here and i think that's what gives it a weight in the context of, and it's very much about the community that they're making the film about. It's very specific to that kind of thing. And I think that works well here. I think it's, it's both space reality and the, the magical realism. I mean, he basically all he could do is just move cans around for most of it. Well, I, mean, well, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> at the climax, like, he could do something very, like, at the climax, it comes very particularly yeah. in handy. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it does. I, I felt like the, the climax was a little bit... Um, unfulfilling that like the the because there was this kind of idea at the beginning that like oh he's useless all he can do is move cans and forks around and I was thinking he's going to find some very um, specific use for that yeah the yeah situation where only it. that will help him yeah 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 where where where, where if you were a normal person you'd be like I really wish I had the ability to telekinetically move a fork right now I mean, maybe it's a less interesting movie where where he becomes very wealthy because of his ability to move metal around. Um, but that's also um, most X Men movies. Um, I gotta right. be honest, I'd be I'd do well with that ability. I think it's a pretty good ability to be able to move cutlery into people's necks. Like I I I think I'd do okay with that ability. I'd, I'd be fine. With it. I, I love that Jay honed in on. Make yeah, I love that Jay honed in on like yeah. it's not just moving cutlery. The end goal is to get it into somebody's neck. It's like that's yeah, the I mean, well, if you can move cutly with your mind, what else would you be doing with? I mean, honestly, God, you 
Well, you would be treating people who are choking. <laughs> um, no, you no, but, you would be. <laughs> you, you'd be like this person. Uh, yeah, yeah. This um, I'd be cutting person. somebody's dinner for them, I suppose. Yeah. But I use my hands. I could but, do that. I mean, I, what I kind of admire about it is the fact that it is so arguably non-plot specific. In that, like, you could do the climax of the movie and just have him use a gun instead, for example, and it would work just as well. But the element yeah. of like having him be able to move stuff adds that, as you point out, the idea of a gift, the idea of something passed down, the idea of something that makes him special. And again, that level of magical realism, I think it's kind of interesting that Andrew said it's different from fantasy because fantasy, you know, with your Lord of the Rings or with your Hellboys or with whatever, you have this idea of rules that govern it. And I think that it's, it's interesting with magical realism that you just kind of layer something on top and it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. And the fact that it yeah, doesn't, that make doesn't sense even have to be explained yeah. either. Yeah, but it, it's 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 also the sense of this sort of um, folk reality that gets passed down, like the the the, the um, like I remember from my uncle hearing stories basically about um, holes that you would fall into. There would be a person out walking in the field, fall into a hole and hole, and would appear in a different place. And the, 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 and they had names for these holes. And I remember thinking kind of, because as, as a child, I was really into kind of, um, science and physics and stuff and in those kind of books. And I was thinking there must be like a physical explanation for those things, but never once kind of questioned whether, whether it actually happened. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and, and there, there, there are these other sort of like, um, folk stories, like, like I have another uncle who has a cure. Like doesn't use the cure, but because of like um, specifics of his birth, he's able to to cure back problems. Or and and another uncle. I have so many uncles who 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 went to a woman who had who had like a cure for, um, I think it was um, uh, colitis. Um, who was and who you basically go to this person and they seemingly cure you and like there there's all of these kind of examples but that that people will swear by and they don't they express it in 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 terms where it's like oh you'll never believe what these people believe it's like this is actually kind of this is just a fact of life almost. yeah on your, yeah. On your uh, holes thing there's a great film uh, called the navigator by vincent ward about a a 14th century plague village in england where they tunnel through the ground and come out in 20th century new zealand uh, it's terrific. Uh, I'm well worth a watch. Um, I think yeah. you get a kick out of it. I think people oh, want to kind of believe in those worlds because they've been so sort of um, abandoned. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I feel like there is some sort of spiritual anxiety that we have just lost the connection. You know, with with um, with with things that don't kind of match up to our um, worldview. I don't know. Um, I think you had, a, you had a really interesting phrase on this there, Andrew, that you won't believe what these people believe. Right, yeah. Part of the fabric of these people's lives and something that they don't question as much as they question any other aspect of their life. Um, it really brings us into the world that we're not, we, you know, we're not sitting around looking at it going, What's, what, this is very weird. Film just expects us to get on with it and recognize that this is part of their lived experience and it's part of what they need the world to be. I also think there's um, there's an element of once you're outside of man's uh -huh. laws, you're in the realm of God's laws, which is a whole other thing. 
and that it's much more old and much more kind of mysterious, maybe. Yeah, because they, because they're clearly not in the man's law of the world in any way, shape, or form. And you're you're I I think you're definitely onto something, um, Jay. Because the the, the the like in terms of kind of what does this movie mean? Um, for me, it was kind of it, it was very sort of theistic. It was it was like kind of God gives. Well, well, it God opens with takes that away. Yeah, it opens with that kind of man talking to the camera about the idea of kind of like what's been taken away in God and stuff. And then you have Murzan talking as well about making a deal with God and how God never looks out for the gypsies and just do one thing for the gypsies. And even in, and again, I won't, probably won't reference the five-hour cut too much, but the closing scene of the five-hour cut bookends that. Because after Murzan wanders away, like he does at the end of the theatrical cut, he wanders to a church where he finds a fallen crucifix. And he basically says, hey, if I help you, will you help me? And then just wanders off. Because um, there is that very much that theme of like, does God care for the gypsies? Does God care for these people that we're watching? Does God look over these people? That sort of thing, and, I think, runs through it. And it's, it, it, it feels like a kind of a meditation on faith as well. Kind of like, and, and, and not, not just faith in, in, in God and in the kind of laws laid down. Uh, supposedly by God, but faith in people. I'd agree. It's kind of, community. Yeah, yeah. That if you stop trusting people and believing in people, that God kind of turns his back. Um, yeah. Well, isn't isn't there that line where uh, the grandmother kind of says to to Peran, you know, why don't you believe it's your son? And it's like once I started lying to myself, I didn't believe anybody. I don't believe anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That kind of idea there. I mean, I kind of, this is something that I'm curious about, and I suspect I'm in the minority on this podcast, but I kind of wonder, in terms of portrayals of uh, the Romani people, in terms of, like, portrayals of kind of the gypsy community, is it a bit much that it's, they have magical powers? Isn't, is the, is the gypsy with magical powers kind of a cliche? Is it, does it seem, I know that the fact that they're using actual gypsy actors and the fact that they're actually using, that it was actually shot using Romani language as well. Yeah. I mean, I think to be honest with you, Darren, I think if this was made in 2020, I think that's a fair argument to a certain degree. I think, I think in the late 80s or whatever, like sort of yeah, 88, 88, 88, I think, yeah, yeah. I think it was a, it was a different time, and that's like that's a, that different time doesn't just excuse everything. It's not a blanket kind of cover all, but I think those stories were still like to even have the story being told from that perspective was quite rare. Uh, and it's interesting. I think there's interesting parts. I think because it's a particularly Eastern European kind of very poverty stricken area, I think that you're talking about kind of more specific stories again in terms of migration and the kind of Central Europe and Eastern Europe kind of experience. And the people that who are neither Croat or Bosnian or whatever, they're kind of stateless to some degree. Yeah. Well, Murzan screaming about going back to Germany, for example, even in yes, his sleep yes. having nightmares. I, that's that's exactly stuff, yeah. it. I think. I think. I think there's an argument to be made that this probably wouldn't fly now, perhaps. But I think it kind of flew then to some degree. I think it was a unique enough perspective at the time. I think it's probably fair enough. There's a couple of moments where you go, yeeks, you probably wouldn't get away with it. But I think it, overall, I think it tries to do right. I think I would be more suspect of it too if it didn't involve this community in their own portrayal. You know, the fact that there are a lot of members of the Romantic community involved, there's, uh, and that's that doesn't necessarily give license to absolutely everything, of course. Um, you can exploit people while still featuring them in a film. But um, it, it appears that there was a, a largely collaborative approach to the, the filmmaking here. 
um, seems to be in a lot of research, a lot of a lot of workshopping with the, the cast in in forging their characters in the story, um, which I think gives it um, some kind of legitimacy. Ronan makes a very good point in that, like the seemingly the buy-in of the of the community, like while shooting it, does it does it does it doesn't necessarily um, mean that they were kind of complicit in its production. When I when I was wor- when when I was working in um, America, I had a Romanian friend whose main gripe with the movie Borat was that the Romanian extras didn't realize they were in the movie that they were in, um, and kind of with the, the, the yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's here, but I take the point. No, yeah, yeah, a very no, rare no. point though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that most... Uh, most sorry, yeah. no, it did, sorry, that was, that was kind of, like, almost not apropos of anything. No, it's a fair point, but I think that, yeah, in this case, the fact that most of them came back and worked with him again on, like, Black Cat, White yeah. Cat, ten years later, um, yeah. and the fact that he did forge long working relationships with several of the actors suggests that, you know, it was a kind of a mutually beneficial thing. It wasn't exploitation, necessarily. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't feel... Personally, and obviously, like, I'm, 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 I'm not qualified to kind of say... But um, I didn't get that sense. Of, yeah, I think that's a um, fair point. Actually, we don't know what the community thinks. I, I yeah. wonder how it's sweet. I yeah, that's a fair point. Like, um, but I mean, as you said, if they are collaborating again, I suspect some certainly Spelty got a fair enough shake. I would yeah. think. Yeah, um, and again, it's a film that is like uh, having done some research in studies of films about gypsies again. Um, there aren't that many of them and there aren't that many no. that have buy-in and so this is seen as being a historically important film um, and I think even Sight and Sound says yes we do it does do the magic gypsy thing but it's still for its time well ahead of what it was doing but to bring I it think, back I think that's fair well I, th- I think part of the reason with, for, for that is like like that our kind of movie landscape is dominated by America and America are terrible um Sorry, like American culture just generally is terrible for um, the way it thinks about um, about gypsies. Um, so things like because Stephen King's like, dinner and stuff like that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like 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 even even the most right on sort of um, woke um, American seems to have this weird blind spot about um, uh, representation or discussion of gypsies, like they talk about them as if they're some mythical creatures. Like who, leprechauns. And, and Sorry, I should say, like, hashtag not all Americans. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I certainly get that impression, kind of, from, like, as a consumer of American media, where it's kind of like, how, why do you think this is okay? Um, and, of course, Irish people are terrible, yes. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we have it, our own, it, like, sort of Atrocious. Like I think it yeah, like our last presidential election, for example. Um, I I do think it. I worth looking at it in terms of initially when I was watching it, I did. I was thinking like at the kind of poverty and the the animals and all the rest of it. You start thinking, Jesus, the representation can be a bit much. But then I was thinking like a decade later, nearly I think the EastEnders in Ireland episode, which essentially (laughs) did essentially the same thing uh, in nineteen ninety seven. I think nineteen ninety eight. And it was like it was probably worse in a lot of ways because we are supposed to be quote unquote Western Celtic tiger, <laughs> and it's like drunken farmhands tying cows into the field kind of thing. It was just absurd. But like, so it, a lot of this kind of stuff does happen in terms of representation, and I wouldn't be able to. I suppose I'm not qualified to say whether it's 
over the top or not or otherwise to be quite honest but i just i did pop into my head the eastenders episode as i watched it like open water where does it fall in the blackie o'connor kind of um <laughs> like he, he he's obviously like the, the 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 best representation that you can have of um I actually, I think Glenn Rowe did an okay job. <laughs> I wonder I if I could watch no it idea. now. And, and, All and seasons the same on Netflix, Andrew. Yeah, it felt. There's yeah, he's your locked in binge. Yeah, they really should have <laughs> it. It's amazing to me they don't. But anyway, there, there. I, I felt like there was a lot of nobility to his character. That, that kind of the generation that I was born in didn't really kind of um, appreciate the place in um in society that the traveling community had whereas like my grandmother's generation the kind who might have watched glen row um had experience of you know um tinkers coming to the house and fixing things yeah basically where um and where where they were a part of the community um whereas it feels now in in our anyway sorry that's um i don't know if that's how relevant that is but i I will actually point out that this was the same year that star trek the next generation did it's the irish come on board and make putching in the replicator episode um so you know america was so proud we were that was a big moment for us Uh, but actually to come back to something that that jay said which i find interesting um because it is something that plays through the film that's probably a nice segue into talking about like the other act the second act of the film so to speak but it's this idea of like trans culture it's this idea of being kind of itinerant in the sense of being moving around and not having a home and being kind of wandering uh, which obviously is historically associated with the Romani people uh, but apparently it's also something that plays through uh, Costa Rica as uh, Costa Rica's other films so for example um, his first film was the oddball Sarajevo love story do you remember Dolly Bell uh, which had to go to Venice um, in order to get success and then there was like Great my title. Um, <laughs> my father was away on business which was actually his first collaboration with the actor who plays Beran here um, and that that was the one that uh, that was the one which won the the Palm d'Or at Cannes as well. But basically, throughout this, he, you know, there's this constant theme of having to move around, having to wander, having to go. Even this is, you know, even though it's a Yugoslavian production, it is still like shot largely in Italy. It still features dialogue in Italian. It still follows characters as they cross borders and are without homes. And it, like that's kind of it's it's interesting to kind of have that in terms of European cinema because again around about this time you would have had say Wim Wenders in Germany for example would have had his own thing going on Russian cinema was very firmly doing its own thing French cinema and British cinema were very firmly their own things but it's kind of interesting that you have Eastern Europe towards the end of the Cold War this idea of just movement of being everywhere of being I don't know if you you call it stateless if that's fair but that kind of sense of movement perhaps. Or, or but we're we moving into the we're only a couple of years away from the Yugoslav war as well so yes well we're going to have to talk about that unfortunately yeah oh, yeah um, absolutely as as i like i don't know how much ronan and jade know about uh or andrew sorry i shouldn't cut andrew out of this i don't know how much andrew knows about uh, amir kusturitsa um as a filmmaker and his legacy but we may have to circle back to that in a moment but sorry sorry to cut you off jay no you're good um but no i, I agree i think i think it's an important part of the film I think seeing people in Italy almost transplanted from a place that's very different than Milan, say, in the churches and the wandered past it, and it almost looks alien, and the camera is alien in these cities. Like that, people go by; they're not they're people begging aren't seen as is a kind of standard kind of worldwide thing that happens quite a bit. 
I think it, it adds a, a layer of poignancy without really trying for that. Even though, you know, there's a hustle going on here, but the hustle is the hustle. That's, that's just how it is when you're outside of the kind of societal state and the, the you know, the kind of the, the people in the cities who see or don't see Romanian people or Romani people living there or working there or existing there, I think it makes it really interesting. It gives it interesting kind of kick at that point in the film, I think. Yeah, because I mean, even like even the way the camera works, like when you have people begging, a lot of times you hear them begging off screen before you see them. Yes. I'm thinking, for example, Piran wandering through Rome, finding the kind of uh, Romani beggar and, and wandering over to her. Um, and there is that sense of invisibility to it all. But sorry, uh, what about yourself, Ronan? What do you think in terms of that kind of transnational? Yeah, that? I think I'd, I'd agree with Jay. There's something really interesting happens once you get that section where you do move to Italy and you see uh, exactly against the backdrop of the cathedral in, in Milan. Uh, it's such a different context to see these characters in and to have seen them in their own sort of native surroundings as a community within themselves, as a as a broad, rich family in a community tapestry. Um, it adds a lot of flesh to, I think, a situation that we're all used to seeing. Um, you know, beggars in the streets outside um, key attractions around European cities. Um, as to the idea of uh, why it might be a bit more um, migratory, um, this particular director, I do wonder how much of it just comes down to like the the commercial setup itself. You know, it, even if you look at European cinema these days, you very rarely get a film that is just of one country. The nature yeah, of funding the films process. nowadays makes things. Yeah, you have to, you know, be set in multiple countries or have actors from multiple countries, crew from multiple countries, etc., just to get the funding. And I wonder if that has an impact here. I think it it has an impact to the positive if that is the case. Because, um, you know, moving between these molds and getting at the idea of how um, this community is kind of exploited from within and shipped out somewhere else um, is, is one of the most interesting things about it. But I'd be really interested to read more and to learn how much of that is, is out of necessity. Yeah. I mean, again, we point to, say, the Three Colors trilogy, which would arrive kind of the next decade. Uh, but that would be kind of a, like a prime example. We talk about when we talk about Three Colors Red, where, you know, the films were both Polish and French and German simultaneously because of where all the money came from, because of where they were shot. Swiss, I think, was the Three Colors Red Swiss, is yeah, shot I in Switzerland, so. um, despite being a French movie. Um, and was rejected by the Academy when it was submitted as a French movie because it was too Swiss. Uh, which I love. Um, and I think that like the problem is that they did Blue and they submitted Blue as a French movie and it was rejected because it was too... Oh no, it was White. They submitted White and it was rejected because it was... Uh, they submitted it as a Polish film and it was rejected because it was too, too French. Yeah, it was rejected for being too French. Oh. So they submitted Red as a French film and it was rejected for being too Swiss, which I kind of uh, love in terms of like managing this sort of navigating this field. Um, but yeah, actually, do you want to talk about the second stretch actually? Because this was the bit where I kind of got my, my back up a bit. And again, I, I freely admit that I I'm just I tone shifts are difficult for me I think I tend to be quite skeptical of tone shifts I think tone shifts are quite hard to pull off I think you need to be very delicate in how you do it um I think there's an artfulness to it and the film kind of perhaps does take a bit of a sharp swift in its kind of second act uh once sort of uh Peran leaves with Ahmed and kind of goes to uh, Italy and kind of gets roped into this kind of begging criminal well, community. Yeah, to Ljubljana first, yeah. I think. Yeah. Kind of. oh, Although yeah. I guess it's all Yugoslavia. Yeah. But it felt it, it felt uh, like they were going somewhere, you know, when they went to... I, not, like, I know it's, it is a tonal shift to a point, but 
if if you're well trained in European cinema, yeah, you're probably yeah, yeah. expecting something along the lines. <laughs> Generally, these kind of films don't have a a kind of uplifted message for two hours and twenty minutes, in my opinion. Uh, I, and I found to my cost when I was a lot younger watching the films and find to get the crap kicked out of me by sudden unexpected stuff that I didn't see coming. Uh, so I'm a bit warier now, I guess, than uh, I would have been when I was younger. Love Jay so sitting there, I, but, like three to half an hour. Like, kill them all. The yeah. <laughs> kill them all. Uh, but no, I, I do. I do think that it was perhaps inevitable at a certain point. I, I think yeah. it does manage it for the most part. I think it's messy. Uh, the kind of whole second act is a messier area. There's too much juggling of stories and mm-hmm. perspective. And I think it's a, it's a messier part of the film, and it does lose. It did lose me at certain points, but not necessarily because of the tonal shift. If you get me, I just think it's too much going mm. on. Personally. Yeah. I really want to psychoanalyze kind of Darren's reaction to the to the shift because <laughs> I know I had the same reaction. But like, like Darren and I have some, some, something kind of in common in, 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 in that we didn't, we weren't like kind of, uh, we didn't grow up in the place we were born, I guess. Um, that, that, that we kind of like moved around, uh, a bit to the extent, to the extent that when people would ask me where I was from, I would say, and then they would ask for me to be more specific. And I, I got kind of like, um, I didn't want to kind of like go into it. Darren had a very succinct version of this, but it, 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 I think eventually at some point when I was in London, I said, um, when Irish people would ask me where I'm from and I'd say uh, Sligo and they were like, where in Sligo? And then kind of there would be like, you know, there was a lot of moving around um, uh, and and it, like even just within the Northwest, which is quite a small area. But for me, it felt kind of like, you know, moving yeah. between communities and that. Um, where I would say, um, oh, I was an itinerant. Um, and I didn't realize that people <laughs> would take that to mean that I was a member of the traveling community, but that they did. Um, and I was wondering kind of with Darren, um, um, I don't, I don't like, I believe with yourself, Jay, you're kind of Dublin born and bred, yes. right? Yeah. And I'm, 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 I'm Ronan. Cork. Pure cork. Cork as it gets. As if you had to ask, like. <laughs> <laughs> the true capital. Yeah. yeah but yeah. you're, yeah. But, um, but like how kind of, obviously like, like not to, not to take the, like is, is, is it, is it, is it wrong to kind of, um, uh, generalize the kind of, um, because there's ways in which specific stories about specific communities can can connect with with, oh, for sure, with people yeah, yeah. in um, yeah and that, no, that I, kind I, of I, that kind of lack of base or base yeah. of right yeah now, can might can affect in very different ways. I can I can tell you the kind of moments that it lost me, and because it's moments rather than like content or or kind of like like developments. It's the moment where right. you have the kind of the. Again, it's one of those things that feels like a comical, magical, realist element where obviously when Merzan is kind of gambling and he wants to gamble with Ahmed's brother and they pull up in this kind of camper van, this kind of like, you know, on the back of a car. And it's like, well, where are we going to go gamble? It's wherever cops aren't. And it's this kind of gambling den. And it's this blackly, darkly comic thing where he goes in and there's obviously the little person behind him who's signaling what cards he has. So he loses yeah. and he's kicked out without his clothes on his back. And obviously... That is quite dark, but it is also quite funny 
It is blackly comical um, because obviously, you know, anybody in that situation should realize they're going to be hustled. But also literally having the clothes taken off his back is a very direct way of illustrating what's happening to him. And it all seems a bit heightened and hyper real. And the caravan kind of becomes that space. Like later on, you have like the pictures of, say, the Elvis uh, in the background there as well. And you have this kind of theme that maybe we'll come back to about like American culture and the influence of American culture that runs through the film as well. But you have then, then in the second act, um, you have a gang rape basically take place in that trailer, in that space. Um, And that's a moment where I was like, okay, this is a sudden, sudden tonal shift. Uh, We're going to watch a a woman basically get assaulted in here um, and implicitly with every male in the camp. Um, And then basically you have, after that, it then segues back into this thing where Ahmed is a monster, but he's also a monster with comic relief where he's kind of silly, but also terrifying. And he's like this kind of like grotesque comic figure, but also like the worst human being in the history of the world. And that's kind of the tonal stuff that didn't really sit with me. That's the kind of bit where it's... See, this this worked for me as a, a bit of a migration from the world we have at the start of the film, which is all our hero has known all his life, growing up among his family with his with his grandmother, and getting that recontextualized in being shipped off, you know, exploited and being brought to Italy, being told that he's being brought off to for the purpose of giving his sisters um, uh, some treatment in a hospital, and then sort of slowly being lured into going off and just being used as a ploy to get um, to get money on the streets of Italy. Um, so I think it's, for, for me, I saw it as part of uh, almost representing what's going on in his head in in seeing how the world is rapidly changing context in front of your eyes and things, you know, people that you've been familiar with all your life are suddenly presenting themselves in a whole new light. And what you thought was the case of the world was not. Um, it, it fell into that kind of coming of age yeah. aspect of it for me. But it's more that it, it doesn't like, it's not like a flips, uh, sorry, switch flips is the, is kind of like the thing for me. It's not like after that, it suddenly becomes hyper dark and hyper serious and very gritty and grim. It also retains that kind of like off-tempo sense of humor where you have like shots like the little man balancing on the ball to peer in through the window while the assault is taking place, for example, uh, which is presented as something that is meant to be a little bit like an odd image, a surrealist image, an absurdist image, that sort of stuff. And then you have like later on, you have like the moment, and again, this is in the extended cut, but the moment I think of is the bit where Ahmed chases his son up the side of the uh, kind of caravan to beat him and his son pushes the ladder down like something from looney tunes he just kind of flops and lands in the mud and it's hilarious and the kid laughs on top of the roof is this roberto um roberto never ages (laughs) no that's interesting yeah roberto does never age even in the four-year gap at the end of the movie yeah he doesn't become seven. <laughs> no, he stays. <laughs> he's, he's like one of those comic book kids. He stays like three or four or whatever age he is. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, no- I, 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 t- I take your point to a certain degree, Darren. I, I think that's there. However, I think the the kind of... I mentioned it when we were talking about it initially when we started the conversation earlier on that the kind of... The, the European cinema kind of... Yeah. Uh, this is where I was getting at when I was talking about the kind of the Roy Anderson absurdity kind of stage spectacles, like you know where he lifts the house, yeah, in the air, which is an astonishing scene, absolutely it's, astonishing it's a, visual. Staggering. It's a great moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it really is, and it's and it's in and around the same character who's like threatening to beat people and to kill people, and he's waving the knife around, and they, I I think this in a blackly comic farce 
but also underlying desperation works quite well. I still think it's messy, but I, I think the pitch tone that they're going for, I, I think it largely gets there for me. But to some degree, I may or may not, or may have anticipated it a little bit, perhaps. That's fair. But I, it, I, I, it did work for me for the most part. It's worth noting. Not, it's not worth, without reservations either. Yeah, like, yeah. It, like the, that the rate thing, is, is that's a hard watch, whichever way you chop it up. Yeah. It's um, not great. And again, it, it's a thing that you have. And again, something I associate with European cinema. And I know that it's by comparison to American cinema, which is just traditionally more prudish. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, breasts of very young women here and the camera kind of being like yep these are these are kind of in front of the camera now which is is kind of odd and strange right we we, we would it, hope they're of the appropriate age yeah, yeah, yeah i had that I, I had that kind of panic watching this where like the like, leon Hello. when you watch leon I mean, yes your yeah. is not lawless in that regard this is no not no, leon no, no, no. you <laughs> jerk not leon in the slightest no no watching it and there is like oh Oh no, I'm going prison. to IMDb to see what age this person was. I got okay. to IMDb prison. <laughs> okay, that's all right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, considering what age the characters, I guess, yeah. were meant to be. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I get um, that it's kind of meant to be kind of That's a cinematic thing that's been yeah, there no, forever. Is, yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean the, we can argue the, the debates on it because there are debates yeah, to be had absolutely. around it, but I think the, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing in cinema, I guess, like, um, because, um, so much kind of formative sexuality occurs, um, before the kind of, you know, legal age of consent. Um, I, I mean, not for everybody. Um, but that, 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 that's when these kind of feelings are, is, is start to, um, emerge. Um, and and kind of how do you depict that in a way that isn't um exploitative or doesn't feel exploitative or doesn't seem yeah like it might be. yeah and like I, I suppose i suppose it depends on kind of um who's watching it kind of at, um as to kind of what their what their reaction kind of um is to this but it certainly felt kind of um um I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not really certain how I felt about it, to be honest. I, I think um, I was. I found it it's slightly uncomfortable, but I think it was right. to the film it was in. If you know what I mean, it was meant to yeah. be an awful sort of thing. Yeah. I suppose I did feel uncomfortable too. I did say that I it was like a moment. Yeah, the way of panic. that you phrased that. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like um, you just turned off the TV. Uh, I, I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not in my <laughs> magical realist fairy tale, you don't. Um, okay, no, no, I, no, I know, I yeah. know. And, and again, it's one of those things that is a very European cinema trope as well. Um, but that sort of thing, that I kind of find that stuff interesting. But generally speaking, then, in terms of the second act and in terms of the relationship between Peran and kind of Ahmed and the idea of kind of this tainting of the soul, because one of the interesting arguments that's been advanced about this, and I'm actually kind of curious, I, can, I can't wait for the J, ah, would you stop on this? It has been suggested. That <laughs> oh one, God! I know when I'm when I'm hedging like this, you know it's a good one. I do, I do. That time of the gypsies could perhaps be read as an attempt to offer a European cinema remake or reimagining of the core American text of The Godfather, in that it's actually been... the 
I, I have my notes here is there's an epic Godfather style ending yeah. uh, here. I, it's it's not, not there. It's definitely there. Yeah. I as, agree as with Chaplin, that. As his Chaplin, as his Richard Gere, as his various other things in Slapstick and Farce and all the rest of it. Yeah. But very you, much it, it does ape genre for sure. You yeah. must know, Darren, that we're primed for like a, a ridiculous thing. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the next thing to come out of this your is mouth. a my first moody rodeo you know <laughs> that's, that's fair um, yeah <laughs> i haven't argued that the sea is a great blue vagina yet no i haven't to be fair to give it I, i'm sure it's coming though but but actually because that's that is why a, people tune in there yeah for all the insanity but it is interesting in terms of kind of because it does do this thing repeatedly where you have it framed through American culture. You have things like, for example, Peran trying to imitate the billboard, where he's constantly trying to freeze in that impossible pose in the billboard. You have the Elvis Presley stuff that's in the caravan. You have the idea, oh, you got home late. You've missed the start of the Western. And again, yeah. in the extended cut, you can see that it is the Magnificent Seven because that's vitally important for you to know. Later on, they're watching a Sergio Leone film in, in the extended cut as well. And like you have this, like the Orson Welles paint picture as well. It's kind of yeah. interesting how we kind of mentioned the idea of this as a transient film, perhaps as a film about like existing in a world without borders. There's something interesting there, I think, in the Americanisms that seep through the idea that, like, in this world without borders, movies and cinemas are absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, like, and that they shape and inform, and that's kind of American I mean, culture. I can tell you a good story, actually, I read a few years ago in a book, um, and I may or may not have said it before, but in Albania, under kind of dictatorship for a long, long time, uh, the biggest star in the world was um, Norma Wisdom. Because if the only films that he showed from Western world was Norman Wisdom films. And they brought Norman Wisdom when the collapse of the state, the the dictatorship collapsed. Norman Wisdom as an older man came out to Tirana and it was like twenty thousand people at the airport. <laughs> and when you when you when you get into the territory of Western influence or lack thereof, or the things that see through and how they can be reconfigured, remodeled, aped and all the rest of it in various com communities and various guises and various countries, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And I do think that's very much here in, in a very different way, but in, in broadly other kind of presentation, I guess. It's a strange uh, one, kind of, the, the um, migration of culture. There's like certain things seem to travel really well. Like um, and some of them make sense. Like uh, Mr. Bean makes makes a lot of sense because but there's like, no dialogue. Like, yeah, yeah, but like like Mr. Mr. Brown's uh, Mrs. Brown's boys is is I think very popular overseas, and I I don't think it, it's I don't know how particularly popular it is here, um, and stuff like it's very popular here, Miranda. Miranda is, is yes. yeah is one of those shows that seems to do very well, kind of with international. It's one of those audiences. shows that, in reality, uh, caused Brexit. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a straight like a line right there. Shows. Yeah, and if you want to do a podcast, I'll do a podcast. <laughs> list of shows that caused Brexit. Well, my personal favorite thing is obviously you mentioned Borat earlier, but you know why Baywatch is so popular in Kazakhstan because Kazakhstan doesn't have any beaches. That's Apparently, right, it's yeah. Been, it's well, it's been, landlocked. Yeah, it's been, suggest, been suggested that that's why all the Kazakhstanis watch Baywatch. See, that's why I loved it, because of the beaches. <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. No my, my cousins no grew up uh, for a little bit in Atlone and then in the Rhineland. 
And their favorite thing was beach whenever they would come to Sligo. I would say so if you were in the road. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. My favorite place would be the road out of Atlone. Atlone isn't that bad. It's not It's not as bad as Longford, surely. Um, okay. All it's right. all degrees, isn't it? There's 88 <laughs> audience members here yeah. with a fuck alone. Let's yes. throw Carlo we'll cut it. It's okay. We'll, we'll cut it in post. It's fine. <laughs> Sit together in post. Well, I mean, again, like it, one of the influences that was cited by uh, Kusterica was um, the idea of like John Ford and comparing Bunnell and John Ford as well in terms of influences. So it's it's very okay. much kind of heavily influenced. But Bunnell, I could see, yes, it's almost yeah. surreal and uh, farcical at, at so many points. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's wonderful shots where the camera will move around and characters will change within the shot. And it's not just within dreams. Like the early sequence where uh, Azra and um, uh, Peran are basically like discussing limestone and the camera moves up the chimney and they're there and it moves down and they're down oh, there yeah, again. Oh, yeah, they go back there. That's a great shot. It's, it's a, a fa- beautiful fa- shot. It's fantastic. Or the moment like where he's at the camp narrating to his grandmother and he's like looking at the postcard and then the camera moves up to the, the, the truck and he's already in there, that sort of stuff. Or even in the dream where like it moves from grandma's on the left and then it pans over to the right and grandma's on the right as well all of a sudden, which is just, again, really, really great in terms of kind of like composition framing. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about, actually? Anything that we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at people? Uh, yeah, people can I, I, one thing I want to mention. There's phenomenal turkey acting in this. Like I, it's I, incredible, I, I isn't it? I, no, I don't know. I don't even want to think about the, the animal rights kind of filmmaking in the, the late 80s. I can't imagine it's brilliant. But the direction from Turkey's, they took every bloody but thing. And, you've and you've got to say, like, whatever about the, the working conditions for Turkey's in the film, but the turkey looks comfortable at all points. The I turkey tell you, is, you that know, turkey like, is a better absolute actor professional. than Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think anyone's arguing that Bradley Cooper was a better actor than the turkey. No, I don't think they were in fairness. Very specific reference. I don't think that anybody's ever... I popped into my head. Now now imagine a very different version of A Star is Born with Lady Gaga and a turkey. Um, I'd probably watch that again. Um, In in that case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, Where... That that would be the version of, of A Star is Born where I'd go back and watch the other ones. Because it's <laughs> like, I wonder what this would be like yeah. if it weren't a turkey. How do we trace the arc of this? Um, yeah. Oh, it's a Pomeranian that time. Um, it's an emu in that other film. But actually, it kind of like when we're talking about the turkey, again symbolism um because it's very 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 heavy-handed the idea of like you know the loss of innocence where it's like oh peran is best friends with that turkey i really hope something terrible doesn't happen to that turkey symbolizing what's about to happen to his loss of innocence um yeah but the not not only kind of should we give props to the turkey acting but to the people who did like kind of hair and makeup for the turkey they um they produced like yeah and they got a white turkey at the end i was like oh, yeah. is that is that a white turkey did is they just die yeah, did they just hey. die the turkey from the first season yeah i mean our 1.2 million dollar budget won't go that far <laughs> is that a fucking white turkey <laughs> um stop it i did i say that as if it's some sort of pun i just said <laughs> fucking yeah, so that I, wouldn't get bleep. I do. I appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, actually, it is worth noting again. For all the film has this kind of abstract dream logic, it does have a very clear structure to it, which I admire. And because again, I like structure. I am a structure. The geese guy. replace the turkey. Yeah. Well, no, it, it's things like the the fact that it opens with a wife, um, like complaining that her husband is dead drunk and it's ruined their wedding, and it closes with a wife complaining that her husband is dead. 
and it's ruined their wedding. I quite like I quite like the James Bond-esque bride who like chases him down yeah, through the, the train. Yeah, the all the railway track is amazing. <laughs> I love that she pulls up the veil to take aim as well, which I, I really kind yeah. of appreciate. She's just firing blindly. <laughs> but yeah, um, she, this isn't her first rodeo, uh, which I really appreciate as well. And again, the, the fact that you have that kind of symmetry of him going away, him being changed, him coming back. And the fact that like, despite all the improvisation happening, it gives the film a clear structure. I do think that's kind of quite admirable. I do think that like as mu- as chaotic as the film seems it's very 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 well constructed to, to be fair yeah i'd probably, probably agree with that there's a couple of other things actually i thought worth mentioning that when it does get to the end particularly where you know the death has occurred and it's a little bit sad you can't resist the gag of the stealing the coins off the eyes which i actually had <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i love that the kid punches the window that was gonna like my yes. favorite it's like no subtlety no nuance just pain no, in no, no. grab um and he's a magic child what uh, I also appreciated all the Metal Gear Solid references as well, where people are like, "Hey, just a box. it's just a box." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's that kid who sold the gold coins. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah but you see, that's exactly. And they're also uh, they're almost like pantomime horses as well, galloping away like yeah. uh, in the box. Like, it's like a motif or something. The 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 kind of WC box with like the little <laughs> love art that yeah, people yeah. are looking through. Looking out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what? like like we we. We look at the world. Well, no, it's it's because these people are constantly time. covered. It's because these people are constantly covered and hidden and kind of locked away. That's what Ro- it's what Ronan said. It's the fact that you know these people exist on the margins of society and they're not always seen. It's like they're literally buried inside a box. So even when the camera's following these children, they're literally just it's nothing. It's just a box. Um, it's the only time we can be ourselves when, <laughs> when we're in the toilet. When nobody's Sorry. looking. Yeah. <laughs> when God's not looking. But again, I, I, I actually, like, I, I do think that's the symbolism of play there, as goofy as it sounds. It's like even God can't see what's happening under those boxes. Um, we, just Ronan, actually, is there anything you want to add? Anything that we haven't discussed or anything jumping out at you? No, I don't think so. I think we've covered an awful lot. I uh, just, uh, in the last couple of minutes, the... Um, I, I love that the film has the subtitle of a love movie. I kept coming back to it throughout going, a love movie, really? <laughs> I think it's, it's almost like a great gag setup. A, a love I, a love movie sounds like something grossly inappropriate. Like it's, you're not going to find that the mm. Palm Door in the Oscar winner section of your library. <laughs> um, but, a um, blue movie. <laughs> yeah, and it, a very, very blue movie. And actually... Fine, we, we probably should talk about this very, very briefly. All the details will be in the show notes, but it is worth flagging as well, because uh, Kusturica is a controversial uh, filmmaker as well, and it's probably worth acknowledging some of those controversies as well in terms of discussing his kind of legacy and contribution. Oh, to we do have cinema. to cancel him now, do we? We, we don't have to. Yeah, we should, do that. we should do that up front. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should cancel people in, in the beginning. Really and, 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 and then... should have researched this guy before I started watching that film. Yeah, really yeah. And then say, uh, we're not going to discuss this person's movie because but, we don't yeah. want to give them well, a platform. Well, I, and... okay. I specifically left this until well, last because I didn't want to ruin anybody else's parade but I do think that it is something that you should probably not gloss over to be fair. Uh, which right, is the um, idea basically because uh, is seen as being a hugely controversial figure um, in Eastern European cinema at the moment because of uh, basically his Serbian nationalism. Um, he was born He's Bosnian. Um, he's actually a Bosnian Muslim. He's an atheist, but he was born in the Bosn- Bosnian community. Uh, but he's made no secret of the fact that he thinks that Bosnian secession was a bad idea, that it broke up the country. In fact, uh, the movie Underground actually has the subtitle, Once Upon a Time There Was a Country, as if to make its politics very clear. 
Um, he's seen Slobodan Milosevic as a revolutionary. At one point, he uh. thought of get, at one point he thought of getting Milosevic's tattoo, uh, sorry, portrait tattooed on his shoulder. At another point, Milosevic gifted him a house. Um, he basically was a huge proponent of kind of Milosevic and kind of support and said he'd been mistreated in the press. We'll include all these details in the show notes. There's some stuff around denialism of what happened as well, which is unfortunate um, in terms of communities that were ravaged uh, in those horrible conflicts. But again, should probably be acknowledged. Um, that said, there is one uh, possibly slightly amusing anecdote detail that I can weave from this. Which is perfect time, Darren. Yeah, it's just like because because it's so light and funny up at this point. Um, but no, like like some of this stuff is is horrific and and uh, terrible, and like it, he remains divisive. Like there are people who will not accept that's awards fair. if he's presenting them, and that's understandable. Um, and again, if we'll include all the details in our show notes, you can find people who are far more informed than we are talking about this. Um, and so for, it's not even thirty years ago, like so you know, it's yeah. like it's it's within my lifetime and within living memory as well. Do you know I mean, what I mean? It's like yeah. I think it's the issue the issue is also crazy. that it's ongoing. So, for example, things like say mm. Visegrad, um, where it was originally sixty percent Bosniak, but it's now ninety five percent Serb, and uh, Kutsaroka has been kind of arguing um, that the the community should not acknowledge anything that happened there. That there's no need to commemorate the massacres that took place, and instead you should build cultural centers that just celebrate the town as it is now, and things like that, which are obviously deeply 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 troublesome sorry um, this is this the funny story no this is not the funny story it's not that funny like i'm laughing but I, I, i'm actually worried that that <laughs> okay but no okay so the, the the amusing anecdote um is that um poet abdullah sidran who co-wrote when my father was away on business which was his first big breakout international hit and the movie that kick-started his career has claimed perhaps implausibly but I quite like this. He has claimed that the real Kusterosa was in fact killed defending Sarajevo against Serb forces in 1994. And oh, was like replaced... Paul McCartney. Yes. And that basically around 1994, he was replaced with a kind of a Serbian doppelganger. Um, and his just like, I like the, the very pithy quote from Sidran when Milosevic gave him a house. And it was like, yes, he gained a house, but he lost a country. Um which was quite pithy, if I do say so. Somebody gets replaced thing. I, I suspect that happens more often than we think. <laughs> uh, fa- fake Melania. Is it hashtag fake Melania? Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, uh, all the, the lookalikes for Saddam Hussein's sons and whatnot. Like, it, these things do pop around. Like. Is there li- lizard people as well? Yeah. Like, are, are people being the same person? Um, do people I, think I, Michael Caine and Sean Connery are the same person? Which is strange because they were in a movie together. <laughs> yeah, because that's a tricky one to follow. That's great actor. Like again, we're we're dealing with very heavy subject matter, but I kind of love the idea. Like Slobodan Milosevic apparently invested huge amounts of money in replacing beloved European indie filmmaker. It's like we need to find a perfect doppelganger who can also direct roughly to his level of ability. Can we do also, it? Also, Darren, as as a matter of interest, does he has he still made films? I really should have looked. Is it like when's the last time you made a film? Um, you know, offhand. He- I think around about 2017, 2018, there was a big gap. And he, in fact, announced his retirement from filmmaking in 1997, which if you were buying into the doppelganger theory would be quite convenient if I do say (laughs) so myself. Uh, But no, he worked on the documentary Maradona. Um, He worked, he did the movie on Milky Way and he did El Pepe, A Supreme Life uh, in 2018 as well. About the Um, frog? (laughs) because <laughs> that's another warning I really sign right hope there. so <laughs> uh, 
It should also be noted, actually, that he's had a long career um, turning Time of the Gypsies, which is his breakout success, into a rock punk opera, uh, which performed at the Paris Opera. No, Paris. just stop. No, there it is. Stop that, stop that. No, 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 no. I can get behind turning it into a miniseries on Russian television, but turning it into a rock opera, no, that's not allowed. Right, lads. The first, as soon as uh, as soon as this pandemic's over, we're going to see that rock opera. Yeah. We're going, and that's all there is to it. Uh, it's worth noting as well that the movie's soundtrack album has been credited with kickstarting a gypsy music revival, uh, with uh, composer Goran Bregovic kind of arguing. And here's the quote that the Roma are European cowboys in a rule-bound world. They've come to symbolize a special sense of freedom and this special talent of dying for friendship and love. Everybody wants to be a gypsy for a day, apparently, according to composer Goran Bregovic. All right, then. In, ter- in terms of inappropriate smoking, there is a few examples. There, there is the smoking in a hospital, but there was also the smoking out of your ears. Yes, uh, part yeah, of so, it. Which, that, that impressed me, that trick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it kind of made me want to start smoking again. The, 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 um, me too. In fact, and I did. Ter- <laughs> In terms of RoboCop, it's it's a re- revenge story against a father figure, um, so that 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 kind of um, certainly fits into it. Um, Not a hell of a food waste in this one, though. No, no, I, the, they. I'm like I'm 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 a, I I feel I feel like they used all of the turkey because they made stock. I with think it. so. I, yeah. I imagine beaks and everything were kicked in there. Yeah. So you have to celebrate it on those grounds, like. <laughs> yeah, <dude. laughs> um, in in terms of inappropriate smoking, actually, it's worth noting that the extended cut has one that I particularly like, which is the sequence where they're taking the children to Italy uh, is extended, and there's a moment where the little person is basically given a pack of cigarettes and sent into the back with the adorable kids, asking if anybody wants to smoke, which I quite like. So he passes. That's them proper. Around, so. That's proper eighties European film. <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, it's just good manners. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah politeness. Uh, most of the kids are like, "We brought our own, really." Um, it's fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, uh, like that kid in the four hundred blows. Yeah, <laughs> where he's like, "No, I prefer Rollies." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, all right, then I think that about wraps it up. Unless there's anything else you want to discuss, anything that we haven't discussed already. No, I I think I've I've got everything I've had out there. Done. All right, Ronan. It's all off my chest. Cool. Uh, Andrew? No, no, I, 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 I think I'm good. Perfect. If I had something, I definitely wouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. It's, we're very sort of David Fincher's Zodiac. I might have a point, but if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Um, all right, then. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something to listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie. It could be something unrelated to the movie, something that brings you joy. So to give Ronan and Jay a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Andrew, what are you enjoying at the moment and what would you recommend? In terms of kind of um, disconnected kind of um, movies, um, a very different movie and kind of disconnected in, 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 in a different way, but, but had, I guess, elements of magical realism in it. Um, a movie that I saw on New Year's Eve, like almost to the countdown. In fact, well beyond the countdown. Um, so on New another, Year's Day. Another long ass <laughs> movie, Magnolia. 
Um, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend, I can't believe it had been, uh, um, that I had never seen it. Um, so I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that. I had it spoiled for me, but I didn't realize it had been spoiled. <laughs> ah, yes. Until it happened. <laughs> yeah, until it happened. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so, so I won't do that. Um, um, in terms of Yugoslavia, um, I'd recommend <laughs> Burek. The uh, pastry dish, especially with like the cheese and spinach, and you really Won't don't get yeah, you don't get it as good here. And I know that sounds like a really kind of hipstery thing to say, but the 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 the, the borek that you get everywhere in Lobilana um, is better than the borek that you get nowhere um, here. Um, I sorry, what am I trying to say? Anywhere here. Everywhere here, I don't know. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good. It's really good. It's I been mean, a long you might you fair. mightn't like it. It might be a bit greasy for you, but um, it is it is so delicious. Um, you rub so it on paper, the paper goes transparent. It does. It does. Um, so yeah, when when this whole thing is over, um, go. We we'll get, get some. those before we hit the uh, the, <laughs> the rock opera, the gypsies rock opera. <laughs> exactly. We'll get well. Some of those. That's kind of that, that's pretty much what I did in um in I I think um the capital of Croatia. I just kind of left the the um was it Zagreb am I right there? Um I just that is Croatia where I had those actually. I just left the train and went out onto the kind of square and grabbed the Borek and got back on the train because I knew that I, had to, that, that I was about to leave in a few minutes. Yeah. I love the idea of Andrew being stranded in Zagreb, just really enjoying his, his kind of meal. Um, all right, then. And Ronan, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I, I've referenced it earlier, but just spinning out of this, the uh, the Greek film I mentioned, the um, Theo Angelopoulos one, Landscape in the Mist, um, came out the same year as this one. I haven't seen it in maybe 10 years at this point, but it's, it is one of my favorite films. One of the reasons I haven't seen it is because it's actually quite hard to get. So it's, it's an awkward thing to recommend. Now, when I say it's quite hard to get, I, I mean like the artificial eye DVD is out of print and you can only find it on eBay, but it's probably one of those things where Darren, you'll now tell me you can get it for, you know, an extended edition for two euro. If you go via a Russian <laughs> VPN or something, <laughs> um, if you can manage to get a hold of it, it's really great as are all of Angelopoulos' films and have a similar sense of, magic realism and uh, great kind of um, trans-European narratives. Um, otherwise, what am I enjoying lately? Um, not much. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, I've never really it's felt bad about time. asking. Yeah, I've never really felt bad about asking. I never really thought that it no. would end up like this. Um, but okay. So no, you... go, go, go for nice walks in the middle of the day, kids. It's good for you. Um. <laughs> that's a great suggestion actually because we we um, at time of recording there are very short days um, they're very short yeah. days and it gets very difficult when you have to stay in the house for most of the day to do work yeah do it for lunch <laughs> what i will say <laughs> thank you uh what i will say actually uh Ronan, which is worth singling out and which might make you feel a little bit better you'll be pleased to hear the los angeles times named landscapes in the midst their favorite movie of 1990 just ahead it's, of Goodfellas. It's uh, <laughs> just ahead of Godfather Part Three. <laughs> yeah, um, slightly further ahead of Godfather Part Three, but yes. Um, sorry. It's a it's a really terrific, strange, odd film. It's 
I, I really want to revisit it because it's been so long, but I would I would confidently put it in my 10 favorite films of all time. Wow, okay. I, I, I will try and find it for your own. <laughs> Bless you. <ya. laughs> <laughs> when oh. is your birthday? When when our, our cork day? <laughs> Get it for 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 <laughs> cork, cork day. day. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. Well, All right, you totally tell us that there is a cork day, and we'd believe. And Jay, what about yourself? What would you recommend for listeners? Um, worth mentioning, actually, and um, Andrew mentioned New Year's Eve. Uh, the American filmmaker Joe Micklin Silver died on New Year's Eve, and she was a filmmaker who was very aware of, but similarly in an odd sort of way, the, her films were tricky enough to get hold of. Um, she did the stuff like Crossing the Lacey, the Lancy, and a couple of others that did quite well. And one of them was on the Criteria channel called Between the Lions, which I meant to watch before the end of the year. Didn't. She died. It's like, shite, I should have watched it. Watched it then uh, last week, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's a story about uh, people working on this kind of indie newspaper, kind of low, kind of, you know, like uh, the Village Voice type uh, thing in Boston. And they're going to, and very relevant because it's just 1977 and they're being taken over by a cor- corporate kind of thing who want to good it and bring in their own editors and stuff. But it's really about the kind of the characters that was, that's in the newspaper and their relationships as a great cast. Lindsay Krauss, Jeff Goldblum, John Hurd, Bruno Kirby, really wow. great faces, great actors, given the loads, beautifully edited, so well shot and so light in its feet. It's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And I'll be absolutely fine the rest of her films to watch. Because uh, she's very, very good and sadly missed. That sounds incredible. Uh, it's brilliant. It's really, really brilliant. I was shocked how much I enjoyed it. Like I, I heard it was good, but I actually stunned by it. Um, and the other thing I'll say that I've just launched into lockdown trees, watching all of Eeyore. Which is how many episodes? Three hundred and thirty-one. So that's my uh, lockdown three. I'm Can three we ask episodes some... in. I was about to say you've started, so you're three episodes. Okay, cool. So I'm you're one percent. One percent of the way it starts in what, 91, 92, whatever it is, but uh, it, I thought that the first season was going to be really kind of hokey and aged badly and all the rest of it. It's not. It's really good, really fast-paced, really snappy, really well shot, really much, much better than my memory would have it, of, I guess, for something that long ago. Um, it's great. Uh, I'm looking forward to spending my spring going slowly mad watching various cast members die away onto the like Columbus's <laughs> ship replaced with uh, just pieces of wood that didn't even exist in the start when, when, he, when he started out so uh, yeah that's Character- what I'm be actors doing. who weren't old enough to watch Eeyore when it premiered they weren't even born when it kicked off and they're, they're seasoned doctors by the end of it yeah um <laughs> But okay, um, in terms of recommendations for myself, a couple very quick ones. Because you've just listened to a podcast featuring Jay Coyle, uh, because Jay just did our our season of Scorsese, I would wholeheartedly recommend Pretend It's a City, the Netflix documentary uh, involving uh, Fran Leibowitz and Martin Scorsese. It's three and a half hours long, so it's almost as long as The Irishman. And it's it's great. It's a very much a quarantine lockdown watch. It's two pals sitting together talking and rambling about stuff that bothers them slightly like there are captions that are basically martin laughs martin continues laughing martin laughs has trouble breathing continues laughing. what more do we need from martin Scorsese, though? yeah um, it's it's really really great and it's again it's it's very charming he doesn't push back on her in any way shape or form does, i found it really amusing does anyone feel like the kind of you know netflix subtitles kind of undercut sometimes <laughs> the drama of movies where you're watching something and it's like ominous music yeah. <laughs> like, it's like ominous, thanks netflix ominous music continues 
Um, <laughs> ominous music has a hope chord, but don't get too excited right now. Uh, but yes, it is available and it's very worth watching. I binged through it, found it highly enjoyable. And the other thing I would recommend um, actually is because we are... Okay, well, very quickly, one more thing. Um, I should have done it last week when we talked about Warrior because that was a 2011 film. I rewatched David Fincher's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, which is great and still well worth your time. And then final thing I will recommend. Um, is Last be- week was our season of 2011. Yeah, and I just missed that opportunity. Um, there was one great movie released in 2011, Andrew, and it was Warrior starring Tom Hardy and Joel Egerton about no, MMA. It <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. Stop oh, that talk. Oh, no. Th- like, Jay, that is the only... Remember the big Fight Club re- renaissance in the early 2010s? So movies like Foxcatcher, movies like Creed, movies like The Excuse Fighter, me. The Wrestler. Creed? mixing the Foxcatcher in with uh, that nonsense. Creed? Foxcatcher is better than Creed. Oh, no. No, it's Fox not. Better than, no. Fox Catcher is better You're than wrong. Creed. Fox Catcher is better than Fight Club. Fox Catcher is better than whatever else you named. <laughs> I, I stopped listening because Fox Catcher was just better than all of them. Um, okay. But I'm, I'm just saying that of that slate of movies, the only one that's on the 250, Jay, is Warrior. That's Sorry, Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. <laughs> mumbles, McMumbles. Everybody loves them, even though he can't act. All no, right. but I, as I recall it, Warrior only had one actor in it, Nick Nolte. It was a, it was a one hand, right? <laughs> That's right. He, he he joined us. Yeah, he was our special guest last, <laughs> last week. Last week, yeah, yeah, it was quite impressive. Uh, good old Nolte. Um, um, but uh, then finally, the actual recommendation that I'm getting yes. to now. <laughs> after that, after that tangent upon tangent upon tangent, uh, because Ronan mentioned that it's dark out and because it's hard to get outside if you're working during the day, and if you're living in a place where it is dark out, I've started listening to the podcast Lore, uh, which is just a, it's by Aaron Mankey. It's just a series of vaguely spooky stories, um, and I'm quite enjoying it. It's nice for wandering around a kind of a dark country road at night possibly being afraid of being run down by a truck it's it's very atmospheric it's very moody and well worth your time all right then so if listeners are looking for a bit more ronan a bit more jay in their lives where can they find you guys so ronan where can we find you uh get me on twitter and letterbox and all those things at baron ronan okay and jay what are you up to uh, now that I'm over my Twitter ban, I'm back at H at Jacob. <laughs> um, also, I'm a bad boy at Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jay survived the QAnon purge. Um, I did, thankfully, thankfully. Um, but also, what might be worth a shout out is, I believe, Beyond Friday is back as a regular feature. Yes, it is. Uh, we started with uh, the brilliant uh, in 2021 with Bad Day for the Cut. Um, we watched The Visitor, which is absolutely bonkers. This week, at time of recording, we will be watching. God told me to the Larry Cohn film and plenty more to be coming in the next uh, few months. Recommended. It's a hoot. Perfect. All right, then you can follow us at After 250. You can find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are sold or not sold. We'll be back next week where the wonderful Scott Mendelson from Forbes will be joining us to talk about Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. We're really looking forward to it. A real guest. (laughs) 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 Wow. You're welcome well, to does. join. Yeah, you're welcome to join but, us if you want. Sorry, it's exactly the reason why Nick Nolte walked off. Yeah, that's, true, actually, <laughs> that's yeah. exactly yeah. the attitude. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, good, good stuff. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank Bye. You. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Bye, guys. Can I eat this pasta now? <laughs> <laughs>